Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 8th of May 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Relationships are complicated, especially relationships with family. As a child, it's hard to recognize your parents as independent people and not just your mom and dad. In Hong Kong, our family situations are often complicated further by cramped living quarters or long distances. Family makes impressions that last a lifetime, and this week as we're contemplating the roles our families play in our lives, while calling to make a reservation to eat out for Mothering Sunday, we'll be listening to a story from Kristen about her relationship with her grandmother. After Kristen, we'll hear a story from Tracy involving another family member. Before we get to today's story, though, a big, huge thank you goes out to our loyal Hong Kong audience. The support and love we get from fellow Hong Kongers is amazing and appreciated. Hellos go out to our international listeners, too, especially those listeners in Overdinkel in the Netherlands and listeners in Singapore and Macau. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. From May 25th to June 1st, the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival brings together the spoken word community at the Fringe Club. There will be real-life tales from Hong Kong stories, side-splitting comedy from HK Improv and Comedy HK, prose brought to life by Liars League and Spill Stories, poetry performed by Peel Street Poets, and five of the top podcasts in Hong Kong for the first-ever HK PodFest. Our shows are on May 31st and June 1st, and they're called Top Notch, and they bring back our favorite stories from the past 12 months. This year, we also have something extra. Hong Kong Stories is offering two workshops on finding and developing your storytelling talents. On two Saturdays during the festival, May 25th and June 1st in the afternoon, Hong Kong Stories hosts and performers will run workshops to teach you how to find, develop, and tell your story. Find details and tickets at hongkongstories.com or on hongkongspokenwordfestival.com. Now from the December 2019 show with the theme of happy, here is Kristen. My maternal grandmother was one of my first caregivers. When I was a baby, my mother would drop me at my grandparents once a week and my grandmother would look after me while my mom ran errands and had an afternoon to herself. When I became older, I loved having sleepovers at my grandparents. I would pack my toothbrush and nightgown and change of clothes in my small blue pleather suitcase and announce that I was going on vacation. <laughs> Grandma and I play a variety of games during these visits. A hide-and-seek called Button Button, Who's Got the Button?, jewelry store with grandma's orange and purple clip-on earrings, and restaurant in which I ask my customers if they'd like to pay with cash or MasterCard. For lunch, grandma serves me Ritz crackers with creamy onion dip and canned fruit cocktail, her version of a balanced meal. I make imaginary coffee for my imaginary husband, a mailman named Mike. 
at night, we watched the Lawrence Welk show with my grandfather and my aunt, who often visits when I do. It's a musical variety show, and I order my grandfather to dance with my aunt while my grandmother spins me around the room. Then I direct us all to change partners. When she puts me to bed, Grandma lies beside me, and I ask her to tell me stories about bad teenagers. <laughs> Grandma is fun, but she is also a worrier. After the laughter come tears, she says when I get too rambunctious. She pushes a chair beside the bed so I don't fall out and cuts the meat on my dinner plate so I don't choke, even when I am far too old for such precautions. This overprotectiveness would annoy me if it came from my mother, but Grandma gets a pass. We remain close over the years, although my visits become less frequent when I move away for university and then begin working. When I'm in my mid-twenties, Grandma is hospitalized because her heart has become weak. She's been living on her own since my grandfather died, and when she's released from hospital, she moves in with my parents. A short while later, my mother calls me. Grandma is driving me crazy. She says, I know that you feel you've reached a dead end at work and are thinking of making a change. Would you consider moving in with Grandma until she's well enough to live on her own? We'll pay you. <laughs> of course, I will move into Shady Oaks, Grandma's condominium complex for senior citizens. She has taken good care of me, and now I can care for her. And I can use this time to apply to graduate school and maybe do some freelance writing. I pack my suitcase and move into Grandma's guest room. Things are different this time around. I sleep in the same bed from my childhood. The mattress is so worn, it's now a U-shaped crater. <laughs> there is no risk of falling out. Instead of making coffee for my imaginary husband, I make tea for Grandma and serve her lunch. Ritz crackers and canned fruit cocktail are still staples of her diet. At dinner, it's my turn to ensure she doesn't choke now that her dentures have become loose and she refuses to see a dentist. We still play games, but the games have changed. Instead of button, button, who's got the button, we play, let's do your physical therapy exercises. <laughs> And did you hide your pills in the cushion of your chair again? <laughs> Grandma continues to worry. Turn on the light. You'll strain your eyes, she says as I read the newspaper. When I head out for a movie one afternoon, she warns me, don't sit next to any wise guys. <laughs> I worry now, too. What's in store for Grandma? And for me? At night, we watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. When there's nothing else we want to watch on TV, Grandma tells me stories. 
I no longer want to hear about bad teenagers. I want to hear about her, about her father, a policeman, dying of a heart attack on the family's front step when grandma is young, about my great-grandmother running a small horse bedding business from the family apartment, about my grandparents' courtship at the Jersey Shore. I write it all down, fodder for the writing I hope to publish one day. And I write, I write one of my graduate school application essays about my relationship with my grandmother. One day, the Federal Expressman comes to the door. As I sign for the package, I think, he's cute. Maybe he reminds me of my imaginary husband, the mailman. <laughs> I look at him again. He is much older than I am, and he is definitely not cute. I realize that I have been here in the senior citizen bubble for too long. <laughs> it's been a few months now, and Grandma is well enough to live on her own with the help of an aide. It's time for me to move on and live my own stories. I go to graduate school. My essay about grandma apparently did the job. And I continue to visit frequently in the years that follow. When she is 97, grandma's health declines quickly. On one of my last visits, she's in bed when I arrive. I crawl in beside her and tell her stories from my week. When she dies, peacefully, in her sleep, there are tears. But there is also laughter, and there are stories, and a closet full of Ritz crackers. <laughs> we can only hope to have family as kind and caring as Kristen and her grandma. Just like them, we love to share stories with fellow storytellers, podcast listeners, and members of our community. All the groups featured in the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival this year are open to community involvement, too. And you can come and support the festival and get a taste of what's an offer during the year from these friendly and open groups. Find out more and get tickets before they're sold out at hongkongspokenwordfestival.com. Our second story is from way back in 2016. Here is Tracy. Last summer, I walked in on my dad making a bong out of a roll of paper towels. <laughs> my dad is 71, and he was constructing a device for smoking marijuana. Um, he had done extensive research on YouTube, apparently, to figure out how to do this. Um, he had gone to his computer and typed in homemade mechanism for getting high <laughs> and um, watched video after video until he found a bong that he liked. And this is out of character for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, what he was doing was incredibly wasteful. Um, we were in the US and he had taken one of these giant American-style brawny paper towel rolls, and he was unraveling the entire thing 
onto the floor, making like a mountain of paper product, um, because he was trying to get at the cardboard tube on the inside. And this is odd, because like this is not a man who behaves this way. Um, my dad was born in 1945 in a work camp in Siberia. And like he was literally born into rubble. And that kind of a beginning leaves its mark on you, and it ingrains certain habits. And you know, trifling with paper products isn't one of them. <laughs> so, so, so that was thing one. And thing two is that my parents are super uptight. I mean, my entire life, they were the definition of straight and narrow. Um, my parents are not hippies. We did not grow up dancing on tables. Um, I mean, they don't even drink. So as far as I knew, they certainly didn't do drugs. In fact, um, when I was 19, my parents caught me smoking pot in their house. And it was like the worst thing that ever could have happened. Um, it was the summer between my freshman and sophomore years in college, and I was home for about a month. And um, it was one of those days where there was nobody home. Maybe both my parents were at work, um, and they were going to dinner, and my brother was at summer camp, so I decided to have some fun. And um, I wasn't an expert or anything, but, you know, I had been to college. So um, <laughs> I took my joint, and I went to the backyard, and, um, and the sun was setting, and I, I sat by the water, um, and I made myself comfortable. It was peaceful, and uh, I got my lighter out, and I, you know, started smoking my, my joint. And um, after a while, I couldn't see so well, <laughs> and like depth perception. And it was 1993, so you kind of have to imagine like fully bleach blonde, um, hairspray, gel. And, um, and I'm smoking my joint, and it's burning down. And, um, and in the spirit of not being wasteful, um, I light it again, and before you know it, my bangs go up in flames. <laughs> um, I had lit my head on fire. And I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but um, the smell of burning hair is something that you will never forget. So, so uh, my, my, my head was on fire, and I, I patted out, I patted out. <laughs> And then I sort of sit there, and I was caught in this loop, like, did that really just happen? And then you sniff the air, like, that definitely just happened. So, um, so I gathered all my stuff, and I went inside to assess the damage in the mirror. And, um, and things only got worse, because uh, just to backtrack a little bit, earlier in the day, um, I had to procure said marijuana, and it's not like I had drugs sitting around, because I was like a nice girl. So, um, <laughs> just want to make that clear. So, um, so I had called my friend Rebecca's little brother, Mickey, who was the neighborhood deadbeat, and, um, <laughs> and I called him, and when I called him, he was busy. So he said he was going to call me back, and uh, again, 1993. No cell phones, no, I couldn't text him for the drugs. So we only had landlines, which are attached to the wall. So, um, so, so Mickey calls me back, and I'm at home, but I'm on the other side of the house. So I go running for the phone, the phone's ringing, 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 it's a third ring, it's a fourth ring, I, I dive, I pick the phone up, I answer, it's perfect. 
Um, but what I didn't realize was at the exact same time that I picked the phone up in the kitchen, my parents' answering machine picked up in their bedroom. And, and there are probably people here who don't know what an answering machine is. So, so, so I'm going to tell you. It's like, uh, it's like manual voicemail. And it's like, um, it's a box. It's like this big. And it's this, it's this box, and it will record your entire conversation with a drug dealer. And, and that's what happened. And, and after... And after it records the conversation, there's a button on the box, and the button lights up, and it flashes. And the button flashes while you go to the drug dealer's house and pick up the drugs, and when you drive home, and the button keeps flashing while you're sitting in the backyard, getting high and lighting your head on fire, and the button keeps flashing when you're in your bedroom, staring into the mirror, and the button flashes when your parents come home and press the button. And here, in excruciating detail, the manner in which their firstborn child has negotiated an excellent price for <laughs> good drugs. And, 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 and so they, they heard this whole thing, and it was horrible. They came marching down the hall, they banged on my door, and, and I opened the door, and it, it was seriously bad. And my, my dad made me um, you know, get my little baggie, and he walked me to the bathroom, and he stood over me while I... I dumped the marijuana into the um, toilet and I had to flush it down the toilet. And he just kept, I know, sad. And he just kept saying, <laughs> he, he, he just kept saying how disappointed he was. Um, and like, how could I do this? And drugs are bad. And drug dealers are bad. And what about my brain cells? And could they ever trust me again? And, you know, mostly it was the, we're so disappointed because um, it just killed me because at that time, the only thing I really cared about was my parents' approval, my dad especially. Um, and if I think about it now, the truth is, I think that was the worst habit of them all. Um, you know, worse than the drugs, worse than the flammable trifecta of moose gel and hairspray. Um, <laughs> I think that this need to please and to be this perfect daddy's girl was probably the worst habit I had. Because um, if I think about it, you know, I, I took what they said at face value, and there are so many doors I never opened or paths I didn't walk down or choices I made, didn't make because of, of their opinion. And I wonder now how things would have been different if I had just once questioned something that they had said or had been able to understand that the world can be a fluid place. Because now, flash forward 20 years, um, I live on the other side of the world here, and when I go home to the US, the place where we have a house, drugs are perfectly legal. Uh, they made a law a couple years ago. and. Um, for the summers, my parents come and stay with me. And guess what? All my dad wants to do after my children are in bed is um, go out in the backyard, watch the sunset, sit by the water, and get high. <laughs> and, and when I discovered this, um, that day that I walked in on him with the bong, the mountain of paper towels, um, I felt really betrayed. I mean, that, that was my first, my first response. And I told him. And um, I said, Dad, you know, 
what about drugs are bad and drug dealers are bad and our brain cells? And, you know, do you remember that summer when I was 19? You wanted to ground me for a month. And my dad just kind of looked at me and he said, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> and that made me even crazier, you know. Um, and I told him that and I said, um, you know, and I thought to myself, uh, give me the wise words, like say something deep and meaningful. You know, he, here you are, this guy with all this perspective. Um, tell me the truth. I mean, you don't just do a 180 on the things that you believe so easily. Um, and I said that to him. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, Tracy, things change. Sometimes it really is that simple. Hey, you see that roll of paper towels over there? Why don't you grab it? Let's go get high. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's stories, brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. Our hero for this podcast is Gina, who curated and directed the December 2018 show. Thanks go out too to all those volunteers who are helping out with the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival. You are all appreciated. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.